Welcome to the Forager Podcast, where I talk with cottage food businesses about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I am talking with Jim and Crystal Whitmarsh. They live in Casson, Minnesota, and run a coffee shop named Trail Creek Coffee Roasters. Now, back in 2017, they used Minnesota's cottage food law to start this business from their home, and just after two years, they were ready to expand to a commercial space. And today, they now have their own brick-and-mortar shop and are doing very well with their business. Now, Jim and Crystal are the first coffee roasters that I've had on the podcast, so I'm excited to have them on, and I look forward to learning more about how they grew their business. And with that, welcome to the show, guys. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So, Jim and Crystal, can you just uh, walk us back to the beginning of this business? How did this all get started? Yeah, um, I have to go back quite a ways. Um, I think I was at work one day on my lunch hour on the internet and just happened to stumble across an article about how to roast coffee at home using a popcorn popper. And we, or I guess I thought, what a great way to you know, pick up another hobby because we were about to have our first child and, you know, needed one more thing to do (laughs) (laughs) Um, because our life wasn't about to be busy enough at that point in time. But Um, we were also about to need more caffeine. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, we did need more caffeine. So, you know, it kind of intrigued me. I thought, well, I'll give it a try and see what becomes of it. I wasn't expecting it to turn into a business one day. I kind of looked into it a little bit more and found a great home roasting website where I was able to purchase our first popcorn popper because it's got to be a specific type of popper. Most of the newer ones don't work very well. You got to find one that's a little bit older that has a little bit more power and, and has the right roasting chamber in it. But yeah, I was able to find a resources online. We got some coffee beans, some green coffee beans, and this popcorn popper. And it uh, it was pretty cool. It was something to do. And it gave us a little bit of coffee for ourselves. I think it was weird at first. We were used to drinking some of the national coffee chains coffee that was roasted much darker. And this was more of a light to medium roast. And it had a lot of flavor, which was really weird. And it didn't taste like what we thought coffee should taste like. But come to find out, I mean, it's that's how coffee is supposed to taste. So so you you're starting with this popcorn machine, right? And do you know what the website was that you were looking at back when you got started? So the search engine, I, it was just on MSN, but the, the website for the coffee was uh, Sweet Maria's. They're actually out of Oakland, California. Yeah, we basically got set up with the, the popcorn popper and a, I think like a four pound sample pack of, you know, four different varieties of coffee to get started with. And so, yeah, that's, That's essentially how we got started. And one thing that I would notice with the popcorn popper roasting was that it would get really smoky. So like Jim couldn't do it inside the house because it would make this really, it smelled good, but it just was. It would set off the smoke alarm. I mean, so he would go out to the garage or in the winter time, because we live in Minnesota and it gets pretty cold out there. He would roast it in the um, laundry room in the house that we were in at that time and I could still smell it coming in through like the venting (laughs) I'd be down putting the baby to bed in his nursery and I could smell that he was roasting coffee so um, that was just 
kind of funny, but also then as we played around with it more, we one Christmas, not too long after that, we wanted to give gifts to family and, and friends that had a little bit more meaning behind them. So Jim ended up roasting coffee for them and had literally three popcorn poppers going at once in the garage to be able to roast all this coffee for our for our family and friends. And we combined that with a world vision gift. And after doing that, we realized that people really enjoyed this coffee. They give us some really great feedback. And that's when the wheels started turning about purchasing more of a commercial grade roaster and starting a cottage food business. So when you started with this popcorn popper, I can, can't imagine it was that expensive. I'm thinking of a Maybe maybe it was a really high end popcorn popper, but do you remember what the uh, price of the popcorn popper was in contrast to the like small roaster that you ended up buying? I mean, it was probably you know twenty five or thirty dollars for this popcorn popper. It was one of the newer. When I say newer, I mean it was still. I think it was manufactured in two thousand seven. It's called like um, a stir crazy a, or something. A, a West Bend Air Crazy, and then actually, Crystal ended up going on and. I think she found a like one of the original West Bend Poppery twos on eBay, and that'll actually that actually has enough power to get you into a darker roast if you want to get into second crack. But the the air crazy that we had would really just get you to about a medium roast. It would get you through first crack, and that's about it. But yeah, I mean you can only do you know a half a cup at a time, and then once we realized after that, I think after that Christmas that we had given it as gifts and realized that we could potentially turn this into a a side hustle or something. That's when I started exploring the possibility of getting a an actual uh, coffee roaster. And I had found a few like countertop models that you just use in your kitchen. Some of the reviews, again, had the same issues with smoke being generated and, and just not really being super ideal for what we were thinking we would be using it for. And then that's about when I think I had stumbled across um, Mill City Roasters out of Minneapolis, Minnesota here. They were, I think they were kind of just getting going right about the same time, actually. They had uh, a wide range of roasters from a 500 gram model all the way up to probably 20, 30 kilograms at that point in time. So yeah, I started looking into that more. And actually, at the time I was traveling for work, I was able to go there and check out. They had a 500 gram and I think a one kilogram in their shop at the time. That's when we decided to go with the one kilogram model because I, I was really new to the whole food manufacturing thing. And I knew that we weren't going to be able to do a whole lot as far as like wholesaling and retailing at that point in time, knowing that it was going to be set up in our garage. But they had kind of pointed me to the, the cottage food world and uh, from there, then figured out what we were um, able to do with the cottage food license. And that that really helped to kind of get us launched. And then it just continued from there. We got to the point where uh, we were going to vendor shows and um, farmers, farmers, farmers markets, market. and people seemed to, you know, really take an interest in the coffee. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so kind of got to the point where, um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say Jim was, you know, he would commute an hour and a half one way to work. And then he would get home and we would have dinner. We'd get the kids to bed and then he would roast coffee in the garage until like midnight, you know? And then I remember like packaging coffee in the kitchen and just having bags of coffee all over and bags of green coffee. That's what we call coffee that hasn't been roasted yet. Like sitting in our bedroom, like it was just all (laughs) over. And so finally we were like, we need to, 
either decide to like scale back or push forward and and find a commercial space. Yeah, I can tell this is definitely a homegrown operation with humble beginnings for sure. So when you were using the popcorn poppers, I mean, do you think that you could have started any kind of side business with those machines? Or do you think the production of them just isn't practical for anything other than personal use? Um, I think it would have been pretty tough to start any kind of a cottage food business with the popcorn poppers. You just, yeah, they just don't have the capacity. It was enough for us, for our personal use and just being able to kind of play around with the popcorn popper. Um, well, I asked just because I, I've seen a picture of this roaster that you got, which I think it was called a micro roaster. So it doesn't even do that much, but it looks like quite the contraption. Like I feel like it has like an exhaust vent and, it didn't look cheap. Do you know what, how, how much you spent on that, that piece of equipment? Yeah, it wasn't cheap. It was a few thousand dollars at that time. But yeah, it definitely boosted our production. Even nowadays, I mean, uh, we still have the 1K roaster in our shop here. And we use it more for uh, sample roasting. So when we get a new coffee, we'll roast small batches on our, on our one kilogram and profile new roasts or new coffees and figure out where those coffees are best roasted at, you know, at what roast levels. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, uh, you know, at that point in time, it was an investment for sure. But I knew even if, you know, even if I had decided that we, we didn't want to take the the business any further, um, it would make a good roaster just even just for us to have for our, for our own consumption. So do you think that somebody kind of needs to be ready to make that investment or is there a way for them to, do you think they could use the popcorn popper to at least prove that they want to move forward with the business like you did? Or is there another option? Like you said, there are those countertop options. Like what, what should somebody be thinking about if they're trying to start a, a coffee business? Yeah, I mean, the popcorn popper is definitely a good, a good uh, starting point. And then from there, I think you could probably use a countertop roaster and make that work for a little bit. Once you kind of really get into the, to the roasting aspect and, and, if you're really enjoying it and want to make a business out of it, um, at some point, you're probably going to have to make a decision of, am I going to just continue with the countertop roaster or, you know, I've, I've got, it looks like I've got enough demand that maybe I could get something a little bit bigger. It really just depends on how much of, you know, how much of it do you want to do? And how much time do you want to spend time? producing yeah. your product? Yeah. So just a quick comparison, we'll get into, you know, your brick and mortar coffee shop later, but you now have a bigger roaster in your shop. Like how much does that cost and how much does that produce in comparison? Oh man. Um, <laughs> There's a big difference. Yeah. So we just got a, we just got a bigger roaster. It's, it's from the same manufacturer, Mill City Roasters. Um, it's a 10 kilogram. It costs about as much as a I guess like a mid-sized luxury car. <laughs> um, and I, do, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but I do this full time. Yeah, this Crystal, is... Crystal works in a large healthcare system in Rochester. We both work in the business together, but I'm the one primarily doing most of the work. I mean, I do all the roasting and packaging. Crystal does a lot of the social media and marketing stuff and, and business networking. But a lot of my time is spent behind the roaster. Yeah, and so I feel like... To figure out how to get Jim more time away from the roaster because he was roasting like six days a week. 
like how many bags of coffee can a one kilogram roaster produce? And I guess the 10 kilogram could probably produce 10 times as much. But I mean, you tell me, I don't know what, how, how, what, like what's the production quantity looking like with these roasters? So with, with the one kilogram uh, roaster, I was able to get about 16 12 ounce bags per hour. And now with the, I'm able to get closer to a hundred bags an hour. So it's quite a bit, you know, quite a bit more production. So my, my time behind the roaster is a lot less these days. I'm probably roasting on average two days a week instead of six or potentially seven. It's kind of the cool thing about coffee roasting is I feel like there's multiple levels to it, right? Like there's the popcorn popper, which is enough to roast for you know yourself or there's the countertop roaster if you want a little bit more yield from your roasting and then we have the 1k option you know and there's even a few other options in between the 1k and the 10k but the 10k just made the most sense for where our business is at in terms of growth right now and it sounds like it's not just the quantity but also the quality, right? Like you can, I mean, maybe that's the same with the 1K and 10K, but I, it looked like there was a jump in what you could do with the popcorn popper, of course, in comparison with the the commercial roaster. Yeah, I mean, there are people that have modified their popcorn poppers to make them a little more sophisticated. But yeah, the 1K and the 10K, the thing that I like most about them is there's a lot of data on them that that I'm able to pull off of them to use. When I'm roasting on the 1K, I can uh, develop a profile for a coffee and then I can I can take that profile and transfer it to the 10K. So there's really, in the in the end result, there's virtually no difference. I, I would say the, the, the biggest difference is just with roasting a bigger batch of coffee, the target temperatures are elongated a little bit. So your, your overall roast time is just a little bit longer, but you're still getting the coffee to the same temperatures and um, virtually identical when it comes to how that final cup of coffee tastes after it's been roasted. So let's go back to when you started this business, you know, in 2017, you decided to go with the cottage food thing. You got the small roaster. So how much were you selling and where were you selling initially? Oh man. It started with friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. It really started <laughs> with friends and family. I think back, that was back to 2017. Um, we, we were, I think we were looking for farmers markets that we could get into and they were pretty small. They're, the one we really wanted to get into was the Rochester farmers market, but they're a local growers market. So with coffee, it's tricky because we don't grow our coffee beans. So we, we asked a couple of times and we weren't able to sell our packaged coffee there. So we ended up at a small town farmers market just north on every Saturday and we would sell like we'd be excited if we sold like 10 bags of coffee, I think. Do you remember how much you were selling the coffee bags for? $10. Yep, 10 bucks a bag at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, that sounds like a, a pretty humble start to the business. But it, I mean, it, it sounds like you guys had quite the passion for it, though. Yeah, I mean, we, besides the roaster, we didn't have a whole lot of equipment invested at the time. You know, we, we, didn't have a uh, like a ten by ten canopy to keep us protected when the when the rains would come. We had a folding uh, table. We had a folding like table. like a card table that we would yep. set up on. 
Oh gosh, it's kind of fun to think about that where we started. A couple of air pots for like sampling yeah. so people could sample our coffee. Yeah. Yeah, the um, sampling piece was really important because small batch roasted coffee was kind of like a newer niche at that time. And so a lot of people just didn't really understand like why is it so special? And I think it took a while too. So many people were used to a darker roasted coffee. It was just interesting, you know, they would ask for, do you have any coffee that's roasted darker than this? And we would have to provide a lot of education on what makes a coffee and why we don't roast it dark so that you can taste the multiple flavors of the coffee and enjoy the origin of where it came from and the differences between each coffee, rather than just roasting it so dark that it tastes like a smoky kind of burnt coffee flavor. I don't feel like we do that as much anymore. Yeah, most of our coffees in our offerings are are in the medium roast range. We have a couple on the lighter side and then usually feature one dark roast. And really, we don't even take it to a really dark level. I would call it a light French roast, just into second crack a little bit, maybe 30 seconds to a minute. But yeah, definitely not as dark as some of the dark roasts that you can find out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we were passionate about educating and helping people to understand, you know, what makes coffee so good and also understanding where it comes from. Jim's definitely more of the technical side of our business. And then I I drive more of the outreach and just that desire to help others as well with it. So it's been just a neat combination. Yeah. So as you're getting started with this market, you you know, you're doing the farmer's market, maybe some other events and educating people. I think one of the nice things about coffee is that it's very much a recurring business, right? You can get people who come back for more every single week. So did you notice that you were starting to develop customers like lifetime customers from this as you started to grow your business? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We would have people come back and they would be jokingly saying this, but they would say that we ruined them because they can no longer drink their Folgers. And so it was just funny. So then they would come back and maybe this time they would buy a couple of bags so that they didn't run out next time. We also had one lady that we had met at the farmer's market. And once we expanded into a commercial space and we could sell retail coffee, There's a a small business in that same town that supports other local businesses. It's a market type of business. And anyway, she would go and she would just clear out their shelf every time of this one coffee that we'd have. And then they would reach out and they would let us know, all right, so-and-so came in and now we need more of this certain roast. So it's really cool to see that. And also in our small town of, you know, Casson's population is about six or 7,000. We have a lot of loyal customers who continue to support us. They come in, you know, every couple of weeks and they'll stock up on coffee. And it's just really fun to know the regulars and know what they're going to want in terms of their coffee too. So you were building this very organically, right? Building this customer base through events I don't know if you sold anywhere else, but it was only a couple of years before you decided to move into a commercial space. So 
how did you know that you were ready to kind of take the next step and move beyond the cottage food lot? Were you hitting the sales limit or was there something else that, you know, kind of pushed you into that next phase? We, we weren't hitting the sales limit at that point in time, but we had been keeping our eyes open for commercial spaces available because I do feel like that can be a barrier to entry. It's not always easy to find one to find something that's available. And then two, you're almost always going to have to put some work into it. It's probably not going to be turnkey for you. So, you know, we, we were kind of just playing the waiting game and we had found out that there was going to be the building that we're in now that was, it was going to become available. It was like April of 2018. There was a thrift shop in the, at the space or in the space currently the the couple that was running it decided they were going to retire and close their shop. So we went to uh, the next city council meeting in town because the building is owned by the city, you know, proposed uh, renting the space. And uh, I think it was just a day or two later, they got back to us and said, yep, we'd love to rent, rent the space to you and just figured out some terms and, uh, you know, signed the papers right away, got on the on the phone to find a contractor that would that could come in and do the work for us to transform part of the space into a a food manufacturing facility and and then did some of the work ourselves that that we were able to but yeah all in all i mean i I think what really led us to it was just knowing that this was going to kind of pave the way just to open up our options Mm -hmm. a whole lot more to getting into grocery stores and other businesses like, you know, restaurants and coffee shops and things like that. I think we had fielded a lot of questions from people as we would meet them at farmer's markets and vendor shows like, you know, Hey, can I, can I buy a bag of your coffee uh, somewhere other than here? Or do I have to get it directly from you? And shipping. We had people that wanted us to ship, you know, Rochester, we get a lot of people from all over. And so people come from like so many different States to come here and they would ask us if we could ship and we're like, well, not yet, but we're, you know, eventually. So yeah, I think just all of those questions led us to feel like there was the support out there for growing the business. And Mm -hmm. I think we just had this sense of if we wanted to grow, we had to make that leap. And there was one guy, you know, I kind of, I have a tendency to push Jim into things um because he was working this job that he wasn't super passionate about and it got pretty tiring for him to be commuting and I wanted him to be able to achieve this dream of his coffee roasting business anyway we were having dinner with this one guy that we had actually met at an event here in Casson, and he was telling us you know about his story and how he realized that sometimes the sliding glass door isn't going to open until you get right in front of it to walk through it And so that kind of helped us to just realize we needed to take that next step in order to be able to grow and really expand the business. So do you guys remember or know how much it costs for you to make that transition from, you know, setting up this commercial space, getting the contractors, et cetera? It was probably, yeah, it was probably like around 10,000 or so for everything. Um, And it really depends on your situation and, and what you have currently yeah. and everything, you know. Um, we had to get our three comp sink, a hand wash sink. We had the whole flooring in here was carpet. So we had to, you know, get a washable floor, swap out some, the ceiling tiles. So they were washable. Yeah. Pretty much making there, every surface washable yeah. is key. There was some plumbing work involved. 
so we didn't have a ton to do but there was enough and then we did all of the painting ourselves when you guys were making that transition was there any hesitancy did you guys wonder in in your heads whether you were making the right choice (laughs) oh every every day day. (laughs) (laughs) we Um, still wonder that (laughs) yeah no i think it's been good but and we did certainly... meet some hiccups like oh gosh getting a plumber out here was really hard you know we're a small business so we're it's not like a huge job and so even just getting somebody to call us back to come and do the work was a challenge getting the hvac people out here to do the vent work was like everything just took so much longer than we had envisioned that it would take. And so then you start to question like, all right, is this really the direction we're supposed to go? You know? Yeah. It's tough. I, I, but I feel like it's necessary to question yourself though sometimes because it's easy to have these big lofty dreams without actually kind of analyzing them and figuring out, okay, is this actually something that one we can do and two we should do but definitely, yeah, I mean, there there's there are still days where I wonder, I mean, I, I feel like in any food business or just any business that you start on your own, just like coffee, I mean, it's it feels like a rabbit hole. How far do you want to tumble down into it and <laughs> <laughs> how far you're willing to go? Mm-hmm. So when you got the commercial space set up, what do you think was the most challenging thing for you to move the business forward or was anything surprising to you as you started to grow the business? Well, Crystal hinted at it earlier. I think getting the work done that we needed done, it was just hard to play that waiting game and and mm-hmm. getting somebody here to to do it. I think getting our name out there too, you know, we signed up to do a lot of different community events. Um, and that was a good way to figure out what events were good sellers for us or networking. Honestly, one of the hardest challenges we've faced is a lot of larger businesses will say that they utilize local goods or support local businesses, but actually they're getting their coffee from regional coffee roasters or, you know, and part of that challenge too, is that the regional roasters have a little bit more, um, you know, they can provide machinery in their contract or, you know, different things like that, that we can't offer as a smaller business. So it was kind of more about making the right connections with the right people in order to grow as well. Like we, we got into one of the grocery stores in Rochester. We met the health market manager at an event called the local feast event. And that happens once a year and they bring in different buyers on one of the days. And it just so happened that he was in the market for a local coffee roaster, but then that helped because we may not have known to try to get into the health market side of the grocery store versus like putting our coffee next to, you know, a bag of coffee that might cost like half the price of ours, but wasn't locally roasted and probably not as fresh as what we're roasting it. Um, It might've been a challenge to, you know, I don't know how quick it would move next to that, but in the health market, it really seems to do well there. So that was a good realization and just a good connection that we made. Yeah. It seems like you guys have done a good job of making a lot of connections. I noticed that it seems, I mean, you're talking about 
how a lot of businesses don't actually support small and local businesses, but it looks like you guys definitely do. You have collaborations all over the place. As I was looking through your Facebook feed, it seems like you're constantly working with other businesses. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, and I think we've built those relationships over time and putting ourselves out there, but also just recognizing that in order for small businesses to succeed, we have to support each other. So a coffee shop in Rochester called St. James Coffee, and they're a local nonprofit coffee shop, and they have been a really good connection. We actually connected with them right before COVID started. And um, thankfully they've made it because we were kind of nervous that they would end up shutting down. Another restaurant that we were working with was a local one in town here and they ended up closing their doors, unfortunately during COVID, but we had met that owner through our church. Um, What else we work with? We have some consignment that we work with local vendors, um, you know, signage and pottery mugs and jewelry just to be a spot where people can come and purchase their goods too and then we have done some stuff with giving in the community we have a a bag of coffee called the landing light roast and that one we donate five dollars from each bag sold back to the landing in rochester and they're a company they're a nonprofit that helps people facing homelessness there's another organization called project legacy And they help youth of color with things like tuition or rent to be able to help them succeed through college or finding jobs or just kind of finding a better place for themselves in the community. Um, Yeah, we try to. What else am I missing? um, We've done collaborations with local breweries. Oh, yeah. So they'll they'll take our coffee beans and steep them in their beer to, to make like a coffee lager. I mean. I feel like the possibilities are endless. You just have to, it's it's kind of like building those relationships with the people first and then eventually making the connections with your products, you know, and some of it happened by chance. Like one, this local brewery, South by Southeast, she was visiting her lawyer in town here and saw our sign for our building and then contacted us. And then others we've worked harder for by reaching out and understanding that not every reach out is going to produce a connection. But um... the other one that I, I don't think you mentioned that I wanted to ask you about was you let someone sell baked goods in your shop. Yes. Oh yes. yes. That's a good point. Yeah. So we, yeah. So we know we've gotten to know and really through our coffee business and through some different networking groups, but other cottage food bakers and actually through COVID is kind of when we or just like through the winter, which is our slower months. I think it was Jim's idea to bring in different cottage food makers for an added, cause we don't make our own baked goods. That's just, you know, another thing we didn't want to take on, but we might as well support another business. Yeah. A lot of people are interested in coming into the shop and grabbing a coffee beverage and then a pastry or a baked good to go along with it. Yeah. I just was brainstorming ways that we could collaborate with other businesses Mm -hmm. too. And thought, well, how cool would it be to have pop-up bakers here with, with their baked goods and we can create, you know, an event on social media for, so that our followers and their followers would know Mm -hmm that we've got this Saturday morning shop hours going on where people can come in and grab a cup of coffee and a baked good. And yeah, it's almost like cross marketing. 
too, you know, just to build each other up. And, you know, maybe there's a customer of theirs that didn't know about us and, and vice versa. There's a lady in town here who bakes cinnamon rolls and sells them under cottage food. And then another guy who makes uh, these amazing cookies. Uh, We tried to We try to mix it up a little bit with who we bring in, but we figured that would be a good way to support the community without trying to overextend ourselves too, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's very cool to see how your cottage food business, you know, turned commercial and now you're supporting even more cottage food businesses. So I I can definitely see how these collaborations, I mean, of course, they're nice uh, because you're giving back to the community, but I imagine they also are helping grow your business as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like just customers enjoy coming in and finding out about other businesses too, but also like they want coffee and a baked good. So in that sense, it helps us because I don't know, it just brings more people in the doors too. On any given weekend. I mean, you know, we're, we're open kind of limited hours and we understand that, but we would have people that, I don't know, three or four people, maybe every weekend that were coming in for the first time that maybe they had just heard about us and wanted to stop in and and support us. So yeah, we were mm-hmm. we were always thrilled to see to see that. We would promote, you know, when we have another a cottage food baker in here with us, we would promote it through an ad on Facebook too. And I would just target it based on mileage within the area, you know, within 50 miles of Casson. And that actually would bring in a few new people that would be like, oh yeah, I just saw the event on Facebook. I've never been in here before. So I think that helped as well. Was that a Facebook ad or was that a Facebook boosted post? It was a Facebook ad. How much were you spending on the ad? Only like I would create the events a week ahead of time and I would spend maybe $10 total. That's pretty good if you're getting new people in on $10. I I don't typically hear of $10 ads working that well. And did you just know that it was working because you just didn't have that kind of new traffic before you started running the ads? Yeah, I mean, just based on, you know, the people that would come in and say that, you know, they saw it because of the event on Facebook or the ad on Facebook. So I didn't keep track of numbers super close, but it must've been doing something. And then the reach too. I mean, it would reach, I don't know, anywhere from like 1500 to 2000 people is what it would say. I didn't want to spend a lot, not knowing how well it would work. And it seemed like the $10 ad worked fine. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Well, now speaking of Facebook, you also, I noticed have done a lot of Facebook lives every week when you are open. Um, so like how long are you open each week and um, how did you stumble onto the Facebook live concept and has that, I imagine that's been effective since you continue to do it, but can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we are now we our summer hours. Currently we're open from 10 to two on Saturdays over the winter. We were open Thursday afternoons for a couple hours and then 10 to two on Sundays as well, just to give people more options to come in the Facebook live concept. Honestly, I picked up from, you know, before, so pre COVID, we actually had a boutique that rented out space in this building and she would always go live whenever she was open. So I kind of caught on to that concept a little bit. I tried it a couple of times. And to be honest, I, 
I don't enjoy going live. It, <laughs> it gives me a little anxiety, but it does help. It, for some reason, it it must have to do with the algorithms, but I'll go live and someone will be like, yeah, I forgot you were open until I saw your live video. And then they come at like at least one person, which for us is significant enough. Like we, we celebrate every new face that comes in the door, you know? Um, and what are you talking about on these lives? You know, so typically I'll just... I'll jump on and let people know, Hey, you know, we're open. This is, these are the coffees we have on the shelf. And oftentimes I'll just go through and talk about each coffee and the tasting notes. And then also I'll share different things from our, the other vendors that we have in here on consignment, like the jewelry stuff, or, you know, if we've gotten some new pottery in some of our, our merchandise, I'll share on there. (laughs) My kids, if my kids are being goofy and making a fort, I'll usually flash them on the live too. Um, people seem to enjoy seeing that as well. Um, we've done giveaways on Facebook Live. We've also done, oh, maybe not live. Maybe that was just a video, but like, you know, how to make an espresso drink or um, steam the milk, that kind of thing. I think we did like a how to make a batch of cold brew. A oh yeah, years how ago. to on cold brew. That yeah. was probably our first Facebook Live video. Yeah. Or was that even live, or did we I just? I can't remember. We might have yeah. pre-recorded that one. I, yeah. I don't remember now. But. Yeah, but yeah, the videos really seem to to gain a lot of traction. Yeah, I know that Facebook really likes to promote lives in particular. For whatever reason, those play really nicely with their algorithm. But you mentioned you're uh, going live and showing your kids. And I I know you mentioned earlier in the episode that you started a family right around, I think, exactly the same time you were like trying to start this business. So that sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were expecting... Our first child uh, in September of uh, 2014, and it was only a few months before that that I had seen the video about roasting your own coffee on a popcorn popper. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I mean, at that point in time, it, I didn't have any visions of of where we're at right now, obviously, but I, I thought, ah, oh, this would be something cool to do just to try. But yeah, it certainly has been interesting starting a business with a with a couple of young children too yeah we would when we were at the smaller farmers market we would bring the kids so we would all go to the market and they would play outside while we would sell coffee now that we are we're at the rochester farmers market now as a concession vendor with our coffee cart and so it's it's busier so typically i'll hang out at the shop with the kids and and jim will will go to the farmers market but the cool thing about building a business and raising kids is that the kids get to be involved. Our customers know our kids. They, our kids like, Oh yeah, they know them. are very social. Like they're not afraid to talk to people. And I also think like, as they get older too, I'm excited to teach them about business and what that means with financials and managing a budget and you know hopefully they can be really good coffee baristas (laughs) so they can work for us hopefully they want to work for us I I think there's just a lot of benefit in in that and um, yeah it's cool they know that when they're at school dad is is working the coffee business and 
it's it's kind of a neat thing for them to witness that. Yeah, I can tell it's definitely a family-run business through and through. And along those lines, you know, you you guys chose to basically start this together and both work on on this project. And how has it been when trying to run this business as uh, you know, business partners? Well, we're still married. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, I don't know. I feel like it's gone. Okay. I think we understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, which helps us to work together better. I'm more of the like lofty goal. I, I come up with a lot of really great ideas and then Jim brings me back down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, uh, but I think we balance each other out really nicely. It was interesting when we were at Thursday's first, a couple of years ago, working together in a 10 by 10 space because <laughs> you kind of bump into each other a lot and it gets really busy and we just yeah. had to work out a system for like who would take money and who would pour samples and you know all of that but it still has its challenges yeah I think it's nice I mean we we know what we're responsible for and what we have to do and uh, but the cool thing is you know, with our with our phones, we both have um, our business email address access and social media access. So if somebody sends us an email with a question or sends us a message through yeah, we social media, we can, you know, we can both mm-hmm. see it and respond accordingly. Or if I can't respond because I'm busy, Crystal can respond and, and vice mm-hmm. versa. So um, I think communication has been really important. I mean, there's been times where like as a married couple, sometimes I assume that my husband knows what I want without me saying it. Um, so sometimes I'll forget to communicate things with him. And I've noticed that it's just important to communicate everything so that we're both on the same page about things. And we use a shared calendar so that if, you know, events come up, like we can put them on the calendar and we're learning that we both need to check it because different things will show up on there. And oh, hey, you didn't tell me about that event on Saturday that you're providing coffee for, you know? So also we get to spend a lot more time together than what we were before when Jim was working a a corporate job because he can flex his schedule a lot more now. And even if it means that we're doing business things, so we're working, but it doesn't really feel like work a lot of the time. Um, At least we get to do that together. We get to go and make coffee deliveries together. And I just feel like we see each other a lot more, which is one of, it was one of the motivating factors for starting the business too, mm-hmm. is to have more time together. So you said that you're doing events as well as running directly out of the shop. So how big of a portion of your business are, are the events like the Rochester market? Yeah. So right now the Rochester farmers market is every Saturday in the summertime from May through October. So that's like our biggest event because it's it's every Saturday. There's a, a really good turnout of people that, that come to support all of the local farmers and vendors that are there. So there's a lot of prep work involved in that. And then because we have that on Saturday and our shop is open, I feel like my bigger prep days are Friday. I'll typically roast the coffee for Saturday on Wednesday or Thursday. But I'm usually at the roastery pretty late on Friday evenings, getting the vehicle packed up with all the stuff we need for the market on Saturday. And then it's pretty late night and a, and a really early morning. I would say that's that's our primary event. We With, with COVID and everything, most everything's 
Well, most everything was canceled last year with the exception of the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And so this year, um, we've kind of been slow to get back into other events just because we don't want to overdo it. That coupled with um, getting into a couple of more grocery stores now here locally, that's that's been a pretty big opportunity for us to sell some more product. Mm-hmm. We are catering a couple of weddings this year yeah. too, with the cart. Yep. I'd say most of our business, though, is still the wholesale production of the coffee. With with COVID too, with our our online sales saw an increase there with people working from home more and needing more caffeine to fuel their day. And then we promoted free local delivery within a twenty mile radius of the roastery here, and we do free shipping on orders over forty dollars. So yeah, we we keep busy with what we're currently doing. So what are you guys currently pricing your coffee at? I know you said it was $10 a bag way back when. What is it today? Right now, it ranges from 12 to 14 depending on the coffee. And then some of so a couple of the coffee givebacks that we do, um, those are 14 The light roasted Ethiopian coffee that we charge 14 for because that one's a little bit more. And then most of our coffees are at 12 well, green green coffee prices have started to increase here lately, and we also have upgraded our packaging big time from when we first started. And we actually have some compostable and biodegradable bags now. So yeah, we're we're probably going to be needing to increase our our prices by a, you know a dollar or something per bag here soon. But I feel like still pretty a you know a pretty fair price for for a bag of small batch roasted specialty coffee. Yeah, we try to still stay competitive. And these bags that you've gotten, where are you getting those from? Uh, right now, we're getting them from a, a company out in California. It's an eco bag, 100% biodegradable, as well as uh, home compostable, or or you can take it to a, a municipal facility if, if you've got one available. It has been interesting. We've had trouble sourcing bags during COVID. It, it, we'll order you know, so many bags. And then when we go to reorder, those bags aren't available. So we've had kind of a shuffling in the style of bag that we use. We're kind of just getting whatever we can, but trying to get the the biodegradable and compostable ones. So how has your packaging changed over time? Or can you remember, like, what was it like when you first started out? Yeah. Yeah. So the first bags we had when we first started, we were using a it was a craft bag, um, and it had a poly liner on it, but it didn't have a degassing valve, and it just had the tin ties. So we um, we didn't have a heat sealed bag, and then we progressed to a block bottom bag with a zipper pouch that we could heat seal the top. It had a degassing valve for coffee to off gas in the packaging. And but on our- the on the first bags we had, we purchased labels. So Jim like designed the labels on the computer, and then we bought them from a like a label company. Yeah. and stuck them on, on there. And now we're stamping our bags with our logo. And then we have our own label printer that he uses to print off the information about the coffee and the ingredients and all of that stuff too. So, Yeah, I noticed that your logo and branding, I feel like it's been nice from the beginning. Like it looks very nice. Is that something you designed or did you hire that out? Actually, kind of a cool story. My brother-in-law designed the logo for us. So he has an industrial design degree. And we were when we were first kind of talking about this and that we would need a logo, 
we told them the name and then uh, that we wanted something kind of outdoorsy to match with it. And he took it from there. So we've been thankful he's helped us with various things and bag redesigns and some other posters and things along the way. And we get a lot of compliments about the logo. So we're super, super thankful for that. How did you come up with the name Trail Creek Coffee Roasters? <laughs> it's real original. Um so at the subdivision that we lived in at the time when we started all this was Trail Creek. So it kind of just rolls right off the tongue. So we thought, you know what, we had, we had a couple of different um, names in mind and this one just seemed to seem to stick really well. Mm-hmm. So and we started out as just Trail Creek coffee and then we added the roasters because we had enough questions on people were getting kind of confused. Like, well, are you a coffee shop? And especially at that time as a cottage food business out of our home we're like no we're not a coffee shop but we roast coffee so that was helpful in just distinguishing what it was we did I meant to ask earlier but how are you getting your green beans like where where do you source those out of we're really fortunate to have a very large importer here actually in St. Paul or Roseville um, cafe imports they import coffee from all over the coffee growing world And it really has just allowed us to utilize them as a reliable source of coffee so that we can focus on roasting the best that we can. Um, Back when we first started, I think one of Crystal's lofty dreams was to travel the world to these coffee growing regions and, and import the coffee ourselves directly, which I think we quickly learned was uh, no small feat. Mm -hmm. Um, But having cafe imports so close, because we can, we can either have them ship pallets of coffee to us, but just as easy for me to take a trip up there a couple times a month and grab three or four bags of coffee. Well, how big are these bags? Depending on the origin of the coffee, they're either 60 kilogram bags, which is about 130 pounds, or uh, most of them are 69 kilograms, about 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're big bags. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When we first started like from Sweet Maria's, we would get like 20 pound bags. Yeah, Um, one pound up to 20 pounds. And then after that, we bumped up to Cafe Imports has a sister company called La Bodega, and we could get 50 pounds from them and shipped right to our door, which was really nice. But then we were going through them quickly. So then that's when we made the shift to going to pick up the larger bags. So as you think back over the past few years, are there any stories or moments that really stand out to you? Maybe interactions with customers or anything that that seems like a highlight over the last few years? I would say when we're out uh, sampling and people are trying our coffee for the first time or, or even just trying specialty coffee for the first time, some of the reactions are priceless because <laughs> we'll get everything from, wow, this is, this is really great coffee. This is amazing to, um, do you have anything darker than this? Or, uh, it's just coffee. Tastes like coffee. <laughs> yeah. So everybody's palate is different. I think that's what that taught us. And we don't get offended if someone isn't like your coffee's amazing, you know, but we do get excited when, when people really love it. Yeah. The ultimate compliment is if somebody comes back to us and said, oh, I, I love your coffee so much. I, I bought another bag to share with a friend yeah. or a family member or to, you know, to take over to for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I feel like a lot of times it's when you're trying to start a business and, and you're in it, it can be a struggle. So hearing stories about people, you know, 
they're sharing how they found your coffee or or when they first had your coffee or the fact that they're sharing it with other people i mean that's mm-hmm. feels pretty good knowing that they liked it enough to to want to share it with somebody else well i can tell you guys have done a great job of getting those customers on board and educating them and growing your business so where do you i know crystal you're the dreamer so where where do you guys see this business headed in the future Good. You asked the right person that question. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, well, it's just been an interesting journey. You know, we, um, if you would have asked us that even just a year ago, I would have told you that we wanted to transition our current space into a full on coffee shop with hours, you know, every day of the week. But recently we've had another business moved to town who's running a, a gift shop and a coffee drive-through and she's going to use our beans, which is amazing. She came up to us and really respected us and just said, Hey, how can we help each other out? So I thought that was really cool. So now, I don't know. I kind of almost see us shifting more into, and Jim might disagree, but into more of targeting that wholesale market, um, we did one roasting 101 class, which was really successful. So I could see us doing more classes on how to roast. You know, we had a small group come in and Jim provided some education. They got to have coffee and they got to roast coffee and then take home a couple of bags of coffee. So that was a really cool just roasting experience. So that's something that we'll continue to provide. Also, building out some form of coffee bar in this space so that we could maybe do another type of class with like different brew methods and how to brew coffee and do some cupping things that way. So I see us kind of just like gearing more towards that and hopefully becoming a little more hands-off so that we can just have more time as a family too. But also I still have that dream of going to the coffee farms. So we are doing a coffee farm trip to Belize in February of next year. We're going to go and harvest coffee on a newer coffee farm and process it with them and roast it with them. And they roast it on a walk over a fire. (laughs) And so like, it'll be a really neat experience. I think they'll be able to educate us on, on the coffee growing side, and maybe we can educate them on the um, coffee roasting side. So maybe not necessarily an importing type of business where we import the beans directly, but getting to go and at least visit the farmers and have that experience too. So I don't know, maybe Jim's got other dreams. I have all kinds of dreams. My, I, I can't shut my brain off most of the time. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, lying in bed at night, thinking about different things we could do. I, I really like from like a coffee roasting standpoint, I, I can flex my schedule around as needed for our family. And I'm not necessarily needing to be here at a certain time every day, which I think that aspect is really nice. So yeah, I think that we'll, we'll continue to grow the roasting operation. And like Crystal said, wholesaling, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity in the area for that growth. And then who knows? Yeah, we, um, the full coffee bar cafe has uh, seemed like it's taken a backseat here recently, which is probably a, a good step back just to to take a look and see other opportunities that we can grow and, and, but still stay, um, you know, still keep that family time that we have, um, just every day reminded how quickly our kids are growing up and they're probably going to be out of the house before we know it. So we really want to just 
try to spend as much time with them as I can. And I'm sure I know Crystal feels the same way. So yeah, right now we're, we're just kind of focused on growing what we're currently doing. We're definitely open to to we new have- concepts and things as, as different yeah. opportunities are presented to us. I mean, we'll definitely weigh everything out. And we have talked about at some point, maybe trying to do a drive-through coffee place, but yeah, I feel like that's pretty far away. Well, I can tell you guys are very passionate about it and you, you certainly done a great job building it to this point. Now, um, if people want to reach out to you, how can they get in touch or find you? Probably the easiest way is um, going to our website, www.trailcreekcoffeeroasters.com. We've got a, you know, a shop there where you can order our coffee. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram Yep. Um, at Trail Creek Coffee Roasters. And then email is great too. It's just trailcreekcoffee at gmail.com. Well, great. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. I mean, I could tell you that you are a great asset to your local community and you're giving back as well. So it's just, it's really cool to hear your story and how you've built this up from totally nothing (laughs) to quite the business today. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having us, David. That wraps up another episode of the Forger podcast. Clearly, Jim and Crystal are really good about constantly seeking new opportunities and collaborations in their business. Now, some of them may not always pan out, but they keep following what is working, and I think that's a big contributor to their success. For more information about this episode, go to forger.com slash podcast slash 37. And if you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. A review is the best way to support the show and will help others find it as well. And finally, if you are thinking about selling your own homemade food, check out my free mini course where I walk you through the steps you need to take to get a cottage food business off the ground. To get the course, go to cottagefoodcourse.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.